0: You know there are times when technical difficulties and, and and you know we we don't get the words on the screen where it's frustrating and and then there are other times when I actually just really appreciate the fact that that we're not this really neat, perfect, tidy, polished church because um, it, it's because that's a little bit more real and uh, and I think you know we are we're sincere and earnest in our faith and and uh, I just like that. Um, I will say, sometime in the last few weeks, I have had the opportunity to be uh, at a church where everything was, was really polished, and everything was just, you know, you could tell it's been very, very well put together, very uh, produced, and, uh, and I, I almost kind of miss the, the human side of it, and uh, I just really appreciate that about Southside. Um so at the youth center, this is completely unrelated, but at the youth center, I seem to have a bit of a reputation. For those who don't know me, my name is Mike. Uh, I attend here with my family. I'm the director of Resol Youth Center. And every once in a while, our lead pastor, Ian, uh, takes a risk and lets me uh, have the microphone. And uh, so here I am. Um, so at the youth center, I have a bit of a reputation for liking like bad jokes and what's, what's specifically known as Dad jokes. Now, I don't know about anyone else like bad dad jokes, right? Is anyone else offended by the discriminatory nature of calling it a bad dad joke? Because I just think that's, in today's day and age, that's not right. But anyways, I thought I'd just start with a joke that one of the teens told me this week. And, uh, and I hope that you can share it with your families over Thanksgiving. Um, it's a very simple joke. Uh, it is, what do you call a fish with no eyes? It's good, eh? That's a good. One. Yeah, no one. Some people are still trying to figure that one out. I don't get it. Tell that around the table. That'll be a winner. Uh, so this morning, I'm hoping to have you guys talking just as much as I'm talking. That really is my sincere desire. Uh, we are in the middle of a series that's called "I'm Just Asking." And uh, Ian presented to uh, this group of people the opportunity to ask questions. And for the next little while, we're going to be attempting to at least address those questions, whether we provide uh, suitable answers or whether the goal is even to provide suitable answers. Uh, Maybe that's not the goal, but certainly to be able to say these are things that that many of us question, struggle with. maybe wonder quietly and wish we could wonder out loud and so I'm just excited that again that this is a place that we can do that. Um, I'll also tell you that I am here not because I am an expert in the subject I'm here because one Ian asked me to be here and two because when we got together for lunch to talk about which subject I would cover I said, yeah, that one is one that I'm actually kind of struggling with right now. And he said, well, perfect, you should do that one. So, I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that I can actually be as much a student this morning as I can be uh, a teacher. Uh, so the subject this morning is how can the God of the Old Testament be the same as the God of the New Testament? So let me just ask you, by a sincere show of hands, How many people in this room have sometimes struggled with the differences they see between the way God seems to behave and act in the Old Testament and the way God seems to behave and act in the New Testament? By a show of hands, who has wrestled with that at some point in time? Okay, so a strong majority of people have. That's great. Uh, Specifically, um, some of the questions that came in related to... Uh, why did he destroy people or people groups? So why does there see, seem to be this genocidal nature to God when he selects Israel and he says, okay, I'm giving you all this, and he just wipes out nations? So certainly there seems to be a, uh, a, some discontinuity between what we see in Jesus and we see there. And then the other question was, why did he apparently give more value to men than women? Um, so those were, those were sort of the categories under the category of how can the God of the Old Testament be the same as the God of the New Testament. So I just want to start hopefully capturing the essence of, of why we're doing this series. And, and I think the first, the first thing that I just want to sort of reiterate is that it is okay. We want to reinforce, we want to validate that it is okay to ask questions. It's okay to wrestle through and even question our beliefs and why we believe what we believe. Uh, I think for a long time, there has been the notion that there are certain questions that you shouldn't ask. Certainly, there are some questions that you shouldn't ask out loud. And then even if we don't understand something, if we... I think there's this... And I would say, I think this still exists today, where where we will receive an answer that we feel like validates some of our questions, but not all of it, but then we feel like that needs to be the answer, and we can't continue with our questioning. So I think it's really important just to be able to say it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to question what we believe and why we believe it. It's absolutely okay. In fact, I think it's good. Um, Ian addressed that a couple weeks ago when we were talking about faith and doubt and uh, and i I remembered a quote from Philip Yancey who said, um, "Doubt is the ants in our pants of faith. It's actually what keeps us moving. it keeps us alive. It keeps us moving forward um so that's one. I just want everyone to feel that it's okay to ask questions. there are no there should be no questions that we cannot ask. and I think this probably even... Uh, moves us to a place where we, where we, it might demonstrate our insecurities because we might say, ooh, I don't want to go down that road because what if I find out something that I don't like? What if the answer is something that I'm uncomfortable with? However, if we believe, and okay, we're talking about what we believe, but if we believe that, that God is truth or that truth comes from God, then we as believers, as Christians, should be those who are more than willing to go to question and to go down those paths of questions. Because if, if God is truth and he, and he speaks truth, then at the end, if we're sincerely seeking God, then we should end at truth. So therefore, we shouldn't be afraid of going, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to like the answer, because if the answer is, is true, then maybe what the answer tells us that we need to change as opposed to we just need to have what we already believed validated. So I think it, sometimes it reveals a bit of insecurity in our own beliefs as well. Um, I think the other thing that's really important as we're, as we're starting this series and as we're going through these, uh, these questions is that it's okay that we leave room for, people to ask, for other people to ask and explore their beliefs and, and question. Um, I know a number of people who over the last five to ten years have actually come back to faith because they all of a sudden found room to start asking questions. And then instead of meeting sort of their questions with, well, here's the answer. One, two, three, four, five. This is why I believe this. And one, two, three, four, five. without Everything sort of just being in a box someone or a church gave them permission to go, you know what, that's a great question, and I'm not sure that I have the answer for that. So why don't we explore that together? And, I, and again, I could point to people that have come back because of that, because there is this greater openness to actually asking the questions. I think the other thing, and, and I, I guess this is a bit of a long intro, um, is that it's really important for people to see us exploring our own faith. And I don't think there's anything more validating than when someone says, hey, I'm really struggling with this, and you say, me too. Hey, you know what? I've, I've wrestled with that as well. Uh, it's so validating, and I think we need to be honest about that. Again, instead of feeling like we have to always have the answers... Sometimes it's actually better that we don't have the answers, but instead actually just step into the question with them and say, yeah, I've, I wrestle with that too. I've questioned that too. So I think those are sort of the, uh, the ethos of, of why we're doing this series. One, because we just want to say over and over again, it's okay to ask questions. We need to leave room for people to ask these questions. And I think it's good for us to step into that with others and journey with them saying, yeah, I've had those questions too. So that's, uh, that's sort of just an intro as to why, why we're headed through this series. So, uh, the question again, how can the God of the Old Testament be the same as the God of the New Testament? So what I'd like for you to do is I would like for you to turn to the person on your right or left, or if you're at a table, talk to the people at your table, or somehow get connected to a few people around you, all the introverts or people who don't want to socialize are going, this is why I don't like church. Uh, but we're going to try and get you to, to chat a little bit within, uh, within some small groups. Um, the question that I just want you to ask is, what are the questions that trip you up when you read the Old Testament? What are the questions that trip you up when you read through the Old Testament? go. <laughs> not leave, like not go home, <laughs> talk amongst yourselves. I think most of you are probably talking about what you're supposed to be. I'm sure some of you are already talking about what you're eating for dinner today, but uh, but that's okay too. Okay, so we're going to try and just have some of these things shared and then I'm going to ask you another question and I'll give you a bit of time to discuss it as well. I love the chatter. I mean, um, I think it's really, really important uh, th- that we often have, again, in, ch- in church and the way we do things, we often have the perspective that whoever is holding the mic has all of the answers, and it's, uh, and it's, it's false. Um, ho- hopefully, we've prepared, and hopefully, we have something uh, of significance to say and to share from God's Word and all those types of things, but the chatter is is amazing, and, and as I listen to the hum as people are talking... Um, I wish I could actually be in all of those conversations because I know for a fact that if we were to actually hear everybody chat together, we would all, we would all be learning things collectively instead of just from the one with the microphone. So that's what we're trying to do. Uh, so um, someone speak out, someone share uh, what you were tra- talking about in your group, what you're chatting about in terms of what are some of the questions that trip you up in the Old Testament. Shout them out and I'll repeat them in the microphone. Don't be shy. Timelines. Timelines. Years Okay. years. Right. So yes. So the Earth is potentially billions of billion how many did you say? Four and a half. Four and a half billion. All right. Rick said it here. And uh, but what we only have about eight thousand years. About eight thousand years of yeah. human history recorded and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do you how do you wrestle with that? Great question. Someone else, another question. Another question in our group about right. Okay. So how were people? How were the people managed? As so, when the exodus happened, how did they? No, the ark maybe would be another. How did that all go down? How was that managed? Um, yeah. So almost logistical issues. Could this be true based on just the pure logistics? Yeah. Good. A very good woman. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) I was going to say you're ahead of us because this is all about questions, not answers. So anyways, we're good. Why is it that so many people... Okay, right. So not just why are there so many people die, but why did so many people... Why were so many people killed? Or if I could, would it be fair to say, why did so many people die at the command of God? Right, yeah good question. Anyone else? Yes. Okay, so the question is when God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush and then he begins to interact with Pharaoh, it says that God, God was the one who actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so how, how is that fair? If God actually did the hardening, how can he then judge someone if he made the heart hard in the first place? Is that correct, mom? Okay. Okay, sort of. Yes, another one. Ah, right. Why did God create a special tree in paradise? And I assume the special tree you're referring to is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said, don't touch that correct? Right. That's a great question. Why did he put it there in the first place? Um, It's like the dangling the carrot in front of the horse and yeah. It's like the person carving the turkey and then saying they're not allowed to sneak a piece while they're carving it. That's, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Good question. Jeff. Okay. What's the deal with animal sacrifices in the Old Testament? Yeah, where does that even come from, the idea behind it? Yeah, good. Anyone else? Okay, right. So the the question of God seems to create very, very strict, clear rules in the Old Testament, and then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and seems to almost be willing to break them when in the past people would have been punished or even potentially stoned and killed for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. Great question. All right. So let me ask you another question. And uh, and with, well I'll give you less time because I think it's a bit more of a specific answer. What are the specific stories that trip you up? We're we I think we're already touching on some of them, but what are some of the specific stories? Is there any Old Testament story or and here's so here's our bias. I was thinking about this as I was preparing the message. So here's our bias. Our bias is that the New Testament makes all good sense and the Old Testament is the part that's hard to figure out and the part where we don't necessarily understand God or Have you? so even as I was about to say what are, the, what are some of the Old Testament stories that trip us up but it doesn't have to be an Old Testament story because what I would propose is that perhaps even our understanding of the New Testament skews our understanding of the Old Testament so maybe it's a New Testament story that trips you up rather than an Old Testament story all that to say Talk amongst yourselves and share with one another what one or two stories in the Bible that seem to be challenging to you that you don't necessarily understand. Go. All right. Once again, I love the chatter. Uh, Let's, uh, again, just by people shouting out, and I'll try and repeat in the microphone so that everyone can hear uh, the stories or the, the things, the specific stories that trip them up. Uh, feel free to shout them out. David and okay, David and Bathsheba. Good one. Uh, do you want to yeah, give a specific on what what aspect? Um, the execution, the fact that, you know, right, right. Yeah. How can David be considered a man after God's own heart? Uh, after all the stuff, after all the stuff that goes down, after all of the, the sinful acts that he commits. Yeah, okay, good one. Someone else? He always repented. David did. Okay, yeah, I think there's truth in that for sure. Connie? Right. Connie, haven't you seen the movie Evan Almighty? I mean, it's painfully clear how it works. (laughs) That's a... Yeah, it's it's a great question, right? And two of every species. Yeah. Yes. Ah. Yeah, so the question was, if God is the one that sometimes... Correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong. If God is the one that sometimes does the hardening of the heart when, when does the, when does the transfer, I guess, over to the devil or the enemy take place, because we would normally see that as his role, is that, is that a fairly accurate representation, right, because, because it does certainly seem to be the work of the enemy, right, Um, the enemy comes to seek and kill and destroy, right, Um, but I've come that you would have life and have life to the fullest, Jesus, right, so, yeah, that's a challenge, anyone else? Bethany? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, right. Right, and does it, and so the story of Job, just the whole story of Job, um, and, and is that not slightly, does anyone else not find it slightly disheartening that God says, yeah, go, go ahead, have, have at Job, have at Job, he He's my man. He'll, he'll, he'll do just fine. Did anyone want to raise their hand and, and fulfill that role? Um, so, yeah, certainly there seems to be some, some questions of justice in that. Anyone else? Yes, Anne. Right. Just, yeah, so many stories where there seems to be just tremendous inequality, prejudice, horrendous acts, yeah, towards women. Yes, absolutely. How do you make sense of that? Good. Well, those are easy questions, so have a good Sunday and enjoy your... Uh... <laughs> so as, I was, as I'm listening, as I'm thinking, here are the categories. Because I was trying to think, what are the categories that we might put these under in terms of like w- how we wrestle with... God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. And I and, and you can add to the list as well. I, I'm just a little brainstorming it here. I think one of them is, ju- is just the category of violence and war. Um, I think one of them is inequality on, on all sorts of levels. Certainly sexual inequality. But I think there's inequality uh, even between races and nationalities and um, ethics. Certainly there's questions of ethics uh, that come up. There's questions of justice. Uh, there's questions of just science. Hey, science says this, and I, I don't know how that works with what the Bible says. Um, there's, there's what seems to be inconsistencies with what Jesus may have taught and, and some of the laws of the Old Testament, what have you. And then just logic, you know, does, does this actually make sense? So to me, if we as, uh, as believers, if we uh, as those who, who have, s- have put our faith in Jesus are willing to say we wrestle with all of this ourselves, how much more gracious should we be to those who say, you know, I just don't get it, and, and I see all of these things. Um, some, of our, some of our most renowned and active atheists will we'll completely tear God down on the basis of a lot of these same things. And I think instead of us always just trying to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, it's really helpful for us to actually say, yeah, you know what, I kind of get that too. I, I, I wrestle with that too, and I don't know exactly how to make sense of that. So I want to look at a story, and I, and I really just want to share an idea. And the idea... Um, Is What I will put under the banner of progressive revelation something that's known as progressive revelation if if anyone is familiar with the idea of progressive revelation throw your hand up All right, then I can tell you anything I want and you won't know the difference (laughs) Okay, let's look at um, let's quickly look at the story um, of uh, Abraham and Isaac and specifically Um, Abraham being told to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. Does anyone wrestle with this one? Uh, This is just bizarre on on all sorts of levels that God actually sets it up that he calls Abraham, later to become known as Abraham, and says, through you and through your line, I will make a great nation. And then through the ups and downs and, and what I will describe as... Uh, family chaos, trying to make sense of how this line is actually going to move forward without a child. And then finally a child is born and it's Isaac and then God comes along and says, hey, why don't you take this guy and kill him? Uh, it's a bizarre story. It's, and, and I'm and probably putting it lightly to, to say that it's bizarre. So let me just read the story and then I want to share a couple thoughts in terms of possibilities in terms of how we understand this. And then hopefully I will have rattled you enough that you can leave at least thinking. Uh, So here's the story. Uh, Genesis 22, for those who want to uh, read along. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, uh, sorry, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountains, I will tell you about. Sometimes I really want to convince myself that God didn't actually tell the people to do what they did. Sometimes I'm actually hoping that God said one thing, and if I read the Bible closely enough that God says one thing, and then at another time, they just get it wrong. And yet, often, that's not the easy way out. Often, God does actually give very specific instructions that seems to be counter to what we would understand or believe. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over. Over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Very interesting. I highlighted that very, very early on in my Bible, probably because some very smart person uh, picked up on it. It said, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. There's a really interesting little nugget in there that I think is important to note. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? A keen observation <laughs> by Isaac going up this mountain with his dad, with all this stuff, but nothing else. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. It's an absolutely incredible story. And, and I would say, and if you would, again, agree, disagree, um, I think for the most part, the story has always been told with sort of the, the grand theme being, look at Abraham who is willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of his God. And that's a great message. And certainly right in here, it actually it actually says that. It says that now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So there's right within it, the angel of the Lord is actually giving credit to Abraham for not withholding anything. But it still, for me, it still leaves me slightly dissatisfied because we read the story, as we should, we read the story, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great, how do you actually say his name, Simon? Yeah, I can't say that, but when you have a German in the room, you want it to be said properly. Um, he said that we are, we are people that read the scriptures from the end of the story. So we read the scriptures through the lens of, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and, so, and, and that is the right way that we're supposed to read it. We should read the entire scriptures through that filter, including the Old Testament, that we should read through the filter of who Jesus was, his life, death, and resurrection. However, in the moment, if this is in fact a true story, this is trauma. This is trauma. Can you imagine, first of all, if anyone ever st- if anyone came to you and said, I think God just told me that I'm supposed to take my kid and take him up on the escarpment and build this nice altar and kill them. I mean, you'd be like, No, that is not the voice of God. And I'm not going to leave your side. In fact, I might even call 911 because I think you are crazy. I mean, truly, we would. So so we read this backwards, but in the moment, this... We, we have to see this as, potent, as trauma, and you have to see this as Abraham having been told through you, "I'm going to make this, I'm going to bless all nations," and then God is saying, "Kill your, kill your one and only son." And then I think it's trauma for Isaac. And I remember hearing kind of a, a, a funny preacher who was who said like. You can in the in the text when when he's walking up and he realizes okay we've got the we've got the wood we've got everything we need for the altar there's me and my dad and hey hey where's uh, where's the sacrifice and and then even when he's like when Abraham grabs him and thrusts binds him and thrusts him onto this altar again the the, the, the very clever youth. Speaker was like the kid who has been like, "Dad, no ba, no ba, not me. <laughs> I'm not a sheep. What did you get wrong here?" Um, but the reality is that this is tr- like so. That's funny, but this is trauma. Can you imagine the sc- the scars? Not physical scars, but can you imagine the internal scars of this actually going down? Right. Yeah, and how, how could you regain trust in your earthly father if he's, if he's attempted this, right? Um, there would have to be something supernatural, something where you realize that, it, that you were part of a bigger story, a bigger narrative. Absolutely. But yeah, and I think there are a lot of really intelligent people out there that, that actually say for many of us, our understanding of God is directly related to our understanding and our relationship to our father. Yeah, so I think it would have a major impact there. So here's here's what I want to just present to you as as not not necessarily different but but an alternative. And full disclosure, again, I'm working through this. I wrestle with this. I don't necessarily even know if this is the answer and answer. Um, But it seems to there seems to make some sense. And I have been learning this from podcasts and from other books. and And I'll be honest with you, I was listening to a podcast. And the podcast was actually from a local church and a local leader. And about 20 minutes in, I was almost ready to turn it off because I was like, no, I don't believe this. And I had to, as I'm driving in the car listening to the podcast, I actually had to push through my own discomfort to actually listen because, because it would have been easier for me to just go, no, I don't buy that and turn it off. But then as I, I, as I sort of pressed through my discomfort, I actually continued to listen and go, oh, okay, that actually makes some sense. So here's, here's just a couple ideas. Um, what if we understand the story? So progressive revelation. Uh, The whole idea behind progressive revelation is that uh, God's revelation of himself to human beings uh, has been a process. It is a process, a progression. So over the centuries, men and women who have encountered God in the biblical stories have come to an increasingly deeper understanding of who God is and what he's like. In short, God does not just arrive on the scene and reveal everything he is and all who he is in an instant to us. And I would say that would be impossible for us to even take in anyways. So it's the fact that God slowly reveals himself to us over time. Um, Progressive revelation can also be understood in terms of humanity becoming more and more responsible to God for our actions. So I think there's sort of two pieces to progressive revelation. One, it's how, we're, how God is revealing himself to us. And then two, it's how we then need to take responsibility to God as we come to understand who he is through that progressive revelation. So what if we understand the story, the story of Abraham and Isaac here, through the lens of Abraham still learning what God is actually like? Abraham does not have a full and complete picture of who God is yet. God is still revealing himself to Abraham. Are we comfortable with that? Is that a reasonable possibility? That at this point in time that Abraham does not have a full 100% complete view of God? Okay. What if we then understand it in a cultural context that child sacrifice was considered normal or common practice. So that when God asks this of Abraham, Abraham isn't really surprised by it, but rather he just sees it in line with what many of the other gods would have required of their people. Possible? Perhaps historically accurate. Uh, Because there would have been a pantheon of gods And child sacrifice actually would have been very common amongst many of them. And so when God asked Abraham to do this, it may not have had the same shock and awe that it has to us as modern day readers, but it may have been actually, oh, okay, so God is a lot like some of those other gods who expects me to sacrifice my children. What if the lesson is... I wrote less about Abraham's obedience. I don't know that I'm comfortable with those words. What if the lesson is just as much about God breaking into a corrupt and evil belief system to reveal that he does not require or desire child sacrifice? What if the whole story... While we are acknowledging Abraham for his obedience, which I think is right and good and, and true to the text, what if the big story is that God is slowly but surely revealing himself to Abraham and eventually to his people, and along the road, he needs to communicate in, in not just a list of rules, that may come, actually it does come later, but by by invading time and space and their understanding of what is normal and right, leading them right to the point of going through with it and then saying, stop, there's a better way. I am not that God. You do not need to sacrifice your child for me. There's another way. So perhaps the story is just as much about God revealing his true character to his people in our, in our day and age, we don't talk about obedience enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's an, interesting, it's an interesting perspective because we don't know. There's nothing, you're right, there's nothing in the story that tells us what Isaac's reaction was. Um, and so we could assume obedience, that he just went along with it, or there could be a big chunk of the story that we don't know because all we know is that, that once the altar is built, he bound his son. And laid them on the altar. So we don't. So there's some details there that we don't know. But I. But certainly obedience is is a huge part of this theme, and probably a theme that we that we sometimes drop today and in our readings of Jesus. So yeah, it's a great point. Someone else. Right. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, I won't repeat all that because that was too that was too good to repeat uh, or do it justice. I th- what I would what I would pick up on is, is specifically you said the the picture right, and and it is one of those. Well, why didn't he just tell him? Why why didn't he just say, Hey Abraham, we don't do this anymore. Um, why didn't he just give him the rules? And and I think what we read in the scriptures over and over again, and he even refers to this that this story gets told over and over again so in that narrative in that story there's far more power that then spreads uh than just you know here's my here's my list of rules and the and the typology you know uh that you know it's a son being laid on a on a bed of wood obviously is a picture as, as those who read backwards it's a picture of jesus right yeah absolutely it's great Ooh, good question. Yeah, well that's all the time we have. So I <laughs> Well, it's a very it's a very interesting question because I think when we start talking about progressive revelation, then we have to it almost raises the bar for our partnership with the Holy Spirit. to to know what God is up to today and how we can join in with that. So so some examples that I would say, there's there's nothing in the scriptures that that clearly did away with uh, slavery, right? Certainly we see a progression towards, well, if you have slaves, then you should treat them better, and there's rules around what have you. But there was a progression throughout history where eventually we reached a place where we said, we don't believe in slavery anymore. We don't believe any individual should be owned by another individual, and so there was a, a progression of what what God and then what Jesus set in motion was then left to if I can use the word the church to continue to carry on t- to the to the kingdom as we still pray your kingdom come your will be done um, I would say the same thing is true you know when we talk about women and and, and gender equality and um, we don't necessarily have the, the perfect. He didn't say, this is exactly how it should be, and now you just follow this. But there's a, a movement towards something better. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So, so I think it does put a heavier weight of responsibility on us to then go, okay, so God, what are you up to? If you are progressively revealing who you are, how are you still progressively revealing who you are to us? I think if I was going to try and like give a very concrete answer, I think I would say we would have to have a very honest reading of the scripture to make sure that we are not crossing lines that the the scripture makes very clear to be sinful or don't go there. I think that would be sort of at least my my starting place. along with being in partnership with the Holy Spirit and that that's actually supposed to be a dynamic relationship that we live in, I think we then have this as as a reference to go back to, okay, well, and I mean, I think we could even point to some very contemporary issues where people have chosen different sides of, of what they're believing, and I think we are all compelled to come back to the Scripture and say, is there anything in the Scripture that actually says... That this is wrong, this is evil, this is sinful. I think if we get back there and it does, then we have to correct our course. I think if it's not, then I think we can continue to to move forward and ask God for continued revelation. What have you? It's a very good question, though. Yeah, yeah. And I think the and I think the the faith, like the the faith piece uh, that we see demonstrated, the fact that it that it's a faithfulness of God, which is a huge part of this story, right? As much as it's about Abraham and his obedience, it's actually the story of God's faithfulness, which then moves in us a faith in that God because of that faithfulness, right? And so we have this narrative, and I think, again, this is so important that we have this narrative where the beginning of the scriptures starts with God. Creating and then desiring to be in relationship with his creation. And in the end of the story is God returning and being in, in relationship with his creation. And we have the cross, which is the turning point, where he says, and this is how you will now have relationship with, with God and creation. And so the entire narrative um, is, is about God's you know, relentless, even reckless pursuit of us in love. And yet, and I amen, I amen, I amen, I amen with you, because that's where we have to arrive. And yet, we have to make space for those who go, but I I still, this is still really hard to understand. This is still really tough to get. Because we can read it, again, through the lens of, of Jesus, but if you were to talk to, again, people from other people groups, well, they were just wiped out. They were just annihilated, so it's easy, you know, as they say, history is written by the victors, right? Um, it's easy to be on the side of victory and say, well, this is how we have to understand it. Um, we need to be very sensitive to those who don't and to go come alongside and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, these are, these are tough questions. We've got lots of things that we're wrestling with. Um, but at the end of the day, we do believe that we have a faithful God who's provided a, a way for us to be in relationship with him, for us to have life and life to the fullest, and that instills incredible faith in us. So... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Jesus, yeah, which is why Jesus comes in the first place. Right. Yeah. Here's the fullness, all the fullness of, of the deity in bodily form. Here I am. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And there's a really interesting book, not that I, shameless plug for the end of, uh, end of the message, but there's a really interesting book by Andy Stanley for those who wanted to sort of dig, a, go a little bit deeper into this. It's called Irresistible and and his basic premise if i if i do it justice is that that we've got so hung up on trying to explain every single detail of the old testament and that we feel this this onerous heavy burden that we have to have all of the answers here and he says the church of jesus christ was not birthed because we can explain a six day creation theory the church of jesus christ wasn't birthed because we can defend Noah's Ark, you know, thoughtfully. The church was birthed because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that's what actually caused the church to explode. And so these are very, very interesting things to go back, and we have to wrestle with them because they're part of our scriptures, and, and they give context and meaning to what we understand. But, but I also think we need to relieve ourselves of feeling like we have all the answers, Because at the end of the day, to your point, and it's a great place to land, at the end of the day, we just keep pointing people back to Jesus. We just keep pointing people back to Jesus. Because this is what actually changes lives. He is who actually changes lives. And so we just go back to Jesus and back to Jesus and back to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. We okay? Yeah, all right. Let me just pray and then we'll have uh, the team come up. That went longer than I thought. You guys talk way too much. I think (laughs) next time, keep it down a bit more. Uh, God, thank you so much for this day, man. Thanksgiving weekend—not that we need a weekend to be thankful—but it's sure nice to have one where we all can collectively just pause and 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 reflect on all the goodness that we have received from you. God, I just—the whole idea of being thankful is relational that if that if if we don't believe in you or if we don't believe that that our gifts come from someone then then what's the point of being thankful it's silly and so just the just the very notion the very ethic of being thankful uh, tells us that there's a giver that there is someone to whom we should be thankful and god we in this room collectively acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so we thank you for all that you have provided. We thank you for all the ways that you have blessed our lives. We thank you in all of the good things. We thank you when we're in the middle of the bad things. And I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through the person of Jesus, that we might truly know who you are and be in relationship with you. So we pray these things together in Jesus' name.